you would please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. That's where we'll begin today, but then also turn to Matthew chapter 19, the first 12 verses. We're following uh, the Sermon on the Mount and been working from one passage to the next in this wonderful uh, sermon and teaching of our Lord. Uh, the greatest uh, sermon that's ever been preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, recorded in the greatest book that has ever been written, addressing some of the greatest subjects and ethical issues that you and I will ever face in our life. And uh, Jesus, our Lord, is teaching us how to live according to his ways and his teachings. And today, we are going to be looking at a very difficult subject, one that is very delicate uh, very difficult, very debated, uh, as we are reminded. But nonetheless, it's in the scriptures, it's vital, and it is something that we deal with uh, every uh, day of our lives. And so we need to look at what the Lord has to say regarding that. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Then, if you would please turn to Matthew chapter 19 and the first 12 verses, our Lord uh, extended his explanation and admonition and commands. Uh, in this wonderful chapter of chapter 19 that Matthew uh, has recorded for us. Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall cleave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man and his wife is like this, is it, not better to is it better not to marry? But Jesus said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept this. In other words, in verse 12, there are some who were intent to be 
uh, intended to be eunuchs, to be single. The word uh, reference here to said some were born that way. So some people are just born uh, with uh, the desire to remain single. Uh, there are others who become eunuchs by men. That is, they submitted themselves to, to certain circum, uh, circumcision rites that made them that way. And then, of course, there are others who by choice uh, accepted that position. But we're not interested in that today. Other than what we're interested in is what Jesus had to say about divorce and remarriage. And as I said at the beginning, uh, there's no subject that I know of in the Holy Scriptures or even in society today that is more delicate or difficult or debatable than this idea of divorce and remarriage. I know very few people, very few people in our church, in the congregation here today, throughout the entire world, who hasn't experienced either personally or some member of their family or someone they know who has gone through a divorce, including my own family. Uh, I have a brother who's now with the Lord who uh, had to go through a divorce against his desire and choice. His wife ran around on him, uh, had a sexual relationship with another man, left my brother for that other man and married him. And I saw the devastating effect that it had upon him and upon his life. Don't know that he ever fully recovered, although he did go on and, and eventually, with the Lord's help and leadership, worked his through that uh, as best he could, found another woman and was married and remained married until the day that he died. So even my own family has experienced that and my heart goes out uh, to anyone who has gone through a divorce or who may be going through one or someone who uh, knows of a family member or friend who has done this. Uh, you know, uh, I think so many times in our, not only just our church and church family, but uh, throughout uh, the, the world, uh, uh, we treat our people who are or have been divorced as though they have a, a plague of some kind. And that's unfortunate uh, to, to do that. We, someone has said, uh, you know, Christians, the only one who kill their wounded. And anyone who's gone through a divorce uh, know what it's like to be wounded physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. It is a, a very difficult uh, ongoing process that one has to work through. I, I think sometimes the death, physically, the death of an individual is better than a, a separation uh, of divorce uh, because the person that you're separated from or divorced from is still alive. They're still walking around. They've probably entered into another relationship with someone else. And it's difficult. It's difficult to go through such a situation as that. But I'm not interested in sharing with you what I believe. Again, as I've said to you, uh, let's, let's don't look at what I have to say or others have to say, but what God has to say. What does the Lord say? What did Jesus say about divorce and remarriage? There was a time in America when divorce was rare. Today, it is anything but rare. It is the exception. The exception having become a rule. It's now a standard thing. It was recently said that couples are married today for better or for worse, but not for long. Back in 1970, there was a man by the name of Alvin Poffler. He wrote a best-selling book entitled Future Shock. And he made this prediction. Instead of until death do us part, couples will enter matrimony 
knowing from the start that the relationship will be short-lived. And when the opportunity presents itself, they will marry again and again and again. Well, unfortunately, his prediction came true. It used to be that marriage vows until death do us part was taken literally. That changed in the early 1960s when the number of marriages in the United States were terminated by divorce rather than by the death of one of the spouses. As a Christian, there's only one thing that should matter about any subject, whether it's divorce or remarriage or any other subject. There's only one opinion that matters, and that's what God has to say about it. The Lord Jesus faced some fire-breathing Pharisees and dealt with this subject by asking a very question. It says in the scriptures, uh, uh, some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him. Look at it in chapter 19 and verse 3. It says, um, <clears throat> oh, well, wrong page. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him. So they were not looking for an answer. They were looking for an indictment. They purposely came to Jesus for this reason, and that is to put him to a test, to see what he would say regarding the question that can a man put away his wife for any reason at all. That's what it says in the scriptures in verse 3. Can a man divorce his, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Now, there were two um, groups of people, if you say, two followers that people followed those days. That one was real liberal, the other real conservative. Uh, the liberal person, uh, Rabbi Hillel, said that a person, a man, could uh, divorce his wife uh, for any reason at all, if, if she burned his, his meal at supper, that was reason enough to send her on her way, pack her bags and send her out the door. If he didn't like the way she combed her hair or if she talked back to him, he thought that it was reasonable to get a divorce. Well, he'd just write out a certificate of divorce, give it to her and open the door and say, don't let it hit you, <laughs> you know. So there were those who were very liberal in allowing a man, and again, remember, it doesn't say anything about the wife divorcing the husband because in those days, the, the, the man was the head of everything in the family. The wife had no rights at all. I mean, that was so important for her to be married because a, a woman in Old Testament times and New Testament times got her identity by being the daughter of a certain man or the wife of a certain man, and they had very little rights. And so you don't really find very many, even if any at all, in the Bible where it says that a woman left her husband, gave him a certificate of divorce. It was a man's world. And in parts of the world today, it is still that way. Just look at any Islamic nation that you can see how a woman is treated. Christianity has done a tremendous service to women by elevating them to the pinnacle where they need to be and should have been throughout all history. So thank God for Christianity, ladies. The other school of thought was Rabbi Shammai. Uh, he was more strict, said there was really only one 
valuable, viable reason for divorce, and that was immorality or unchastity or adultery. If Jesus had answered the question, yes, you can send a woman out the door with a certificate of divorce, no matter what the reason might have been, then he would have been accused of being very liberal and not taking the word of God seriously. If he had answered the question, no, they would have accused him of being hard-hearted with no compassion for people who find themselves in a difficult marriage. America has answered this question with a resounding yes. Getting a divorce is far different from getting a divorce from yesterday. There was a time in America when the big question facing a judge adjudicating a divorce was whether a marriage had been completely collapsed. Most states used to require a long separation to prove that a divorce was warranted. But in 1970, California became the first state to abandon the fault concept and created the no-fault divorce. And so today, America has said any reason, no matter what it might be, will do. If two people want a divorce, they can have it. Doesn't matter what the reason. Those Pharisees would have been right at home in today's society. They were doing what legalists do best, looking for loopholes. The problem is they were asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, how can a marriage be legally broken up, they should have been asking, how can a marriage be permanently held together? In other words, instead of asking, how can one get out of marriage, they should be saying, how can one stay in a marriage? Nobody will deny that marriage is a challenge. It's the most wonderful thing God has created in allowing two people to enjoy but it isn't easy. I mean, all of us here today could testify to that. A good marriage takes hard work. I often tell a young couple who comes to me and saying they wanted to get married and if I have the opportunity to counsel with them to simply say, I don't know of any good marriages that just happen to be that way. It's like anything else that's good and successful. You've got to work at it. You've got to work at it. Sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes it's 60-40, sometimes it's 99 and one but you have to work at it. There is no such thing as a successful marriage unless some hard work and sacrifice has been done by both parties. And when a couple decides to break up, there is tremendous hurt. I believe, as I said, it's actually easier for a person to lose a spouse to death than by divorce, at least with death as a funeral. There's open grief and prayer for the survivor. A divorce often has no firm ending. It just seems to have, there's no way to close the door to it. No honor, no prayers in church for the divorced. We recover from a death, but the grief over a miscarriage of marriage lingers. Yes, it's hard to find a family in America that hasn't been touched in some way by a divorce. It has become an accepted part of our society. America has the highest divorce rate in the world with the exception of Sweden. And it's very easy to get a divorce in this country. Well, if you have your outline with you this morning, there are five things that I want us to look at as briefly as we can with knowing the time is limited. But there are five ideas that I want us to look at. First of all, that marriage is meant to be permanent. It's meant to be permanent. 
Look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And Jesus answered and said, Have you not read? Haven't you read the Ten Commandments? He said. That he who was... You see, Jesus goes beyond the Ten Commandments. Jesus takes them back to the very beginning of time. He takes them back not to the 20th chapter of the book of Genesis, but to the first three chapters of the book of Exodus, but to do the first three chapters of Genesis. So in verse 4, he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now that statement alone ought to say something to our society about <clears throat> same-sex marriage. That in the beginning, God did not intend for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman. He said in the beginning or from the beginning that God, when he created them, made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So, verse 6, they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So the original intent was that God created a man and a woman and he meant for them to come together in the union of a physical relationship and that physically, mentally, morally, psychologically, and spiritually they would be looked upon by God the Father as one individual. And so many wedding ceremonies today have what's called a unity candle. Uh, a more recent trend is what they call, a, I guess, a unity sand, a little where they take two different colors of sand and pour them all together and into a, a, a one single vase of some kind or a container of some kind. Uh, the candle, of course, symbolizing two separate ones become one. The mixing of the sand, uh, illustrating and, and symbolizing uh, the union of two individuals coming from two different directions, two different families, but now blending their lives together and becoming one. What does God think about divorce? Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. Malachi 2, 16 from the New Living Translation says, this is quoting the Lord now, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, now, he's not saying that he hates divorcees. Please remember this. You see, oftentimes we read into the scriptures what we want it to say. And we get the impression, well, if I'm divorced, God must hate me. No, God does not hate you. God loves you. You read the book of Malachi. That's what the whole book of Malachi is all about. God's unconditional love. But as far as the act of divorce itself, yes, God says, I hate divorce says the Lord God of Israel. To divorce your wife, Malachi 2.16 says, is to, to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. The Lord is simply saying, when you subject your companion, your spouse to divorce, you are, you're heaping cruelty upon that individual. There's no question about God's attitude on divorce. He hates it. He doesn't hate divorce. People, he hates divorce. Genesis 2.24 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The word joined there, in other translations, says cleave to one another. The word literally means to be glued together. To be glued together. 
And sometimes I use an illustration in talking to a young couple that's getting married. You, you take, you know, you, you can get married and, and you can get a divorce. It's real easy. Just get your lawyer and go down to the courthouse and bang, you're divorced. But let me remind you of this. You take one piece of paper and smear glue on it and put another piece of paper on top of it. And those two pieces of paper now become one. And you can separate those two pieces of paper. But you cannot separate those two pieces of paper that have been glued together without tearing them apart. You can't do it. You could rip it apart in pieces, in pieces. And that's what happened when a divorce takes place. You take two individuals who, who are united in, in, in the eyes of God and they become one flesh. They can separate. They can get divorced, but it will be torn to pieces psychologically, emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, all around. You cannot divorce without somebody being a loser. There are no winners in a divorce. They're all losers, all of them. The husband and wife loses and the children lose. I think sometimes the children are the one who suffer the most when a divorce takes place. In Romans 7 verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she will not be an adulteress, though she be joined to another plan, man. So what God is just simply saying, uh, when, when a person that gets married and he or she or she or him, whichever one, dies, then that relationship as husband and wife is ended. And you're free to go on and marry someone else. A lot of people do. I've performed wedding ceremonies for for couples whose companions have, have died. And, and through the providence and guidance and grace of God, they come across paths with another individual, fall in love, get married. That's all right. That's what the Bible says. You're committed to remain married to one another until death alone should part you. Let's go on to the second idea. Marriage is permanent, but divorce is permitted. Now, the word permitted is the key word here, folks. God, through Moses, did not command divorce, but permitted it. There's a big difference. It's a big difference. Don't say it's God's will that I divorce. It's not. What do we already say? He hates divorce. But it happens. And so, uh, what, did, what did Jesus say? Look at Chapter 19 and verse 8. They say, he said, well, if, if you're not supposed to join, if you're not supposed to break up this union and get divorced, they, they ask in verse 7, then why did Moses, see, they said, why did Moses command to give a, a, a certificate of divorce? He didn't. He did not give a command. He, he issued a permission. It's permitted. It's not commanded. And so in verse 8, Jesus gives the reason. Because of the hardness of your heart. You know, that, that's pretty well the basic reason for a lot of divorces, if not all of them. That whoever the guilty party is or who desires to want it has a hard heart. It goes right back to what Jesus has said all alone. It's the heart that is sinful, not the words that come out. It's, where do the words come from that come out of your mouth? From your heart. 
He said, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a man, it's what comes out of the heart. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it, Jeremiah says. Nobody but the Lord. And the Lord said, I can know it. I can control the reins of the human heart. Jesus said, I don't need anybody to testify to me on behalf of somebody else. In John chapter 2, he says, I know what is in the heart of man. He knows what's in your heart, knows what's in my heart. He knows everything about me. What I'm thinking, what I'm doing, what I'm saying. He even knows why I say it, when I say it. The incentive and the reason behind all of it. God knows it all. So God did not command divorce. He permitted it. He permitted it. And why? Because of the hardness of your heart. This word hardness can also be translated stubbornness. You ever, you ever meet a stubborn person? <laughs> I've met a few of them. The word can be translated stubborn, can be translated callous. It can also be translated petrified, just like a piece of petrified wood. Wood that has become a rock. Hard as rock. And Jesus said it was the hardness of their hearts that kept Israel out of going into the promised land. Until after all of them died, except for Joshua and Caleb. What? The hardness of your heart. We'd even go farther and say, well, oftentimes, why do people get divorced? Well, sometimes it's, it's a hardness of the heart. Sometimes it's immaturity. I, I've talked and counseled with people who, who's one or the, or the other or both were, were so immature, they were still childish in the way they would behave and relate to one another. They shouldn't have ever gotten married and begin with. And, and, and so selfishness, cruelty, so... God permitted. There's something that, that bothers me a, a great deal. Is why, why didn't the Lord go farther in explaining what he meant by all of this? Because, and I guess I had to be careful here, and, and I hope I'm not injecting uh, my own thoughts and feelings here, but uh, I've often wondered uh, about a situation where there's abuse that's going on, where, where there's physical abuse. I would never counsel an individual who's in a, an abusive, physically abusive situation. Oh, stay in that. No. Get out of it. As quickly as you can. You know, Paul, Paul says it's okay to separate. You know, just don't remarry, but separate until you can get it resolved. But a, a, a husband who would physically abuse his wife ought to be taken out and horsewhip or shot. I know it's carnal, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hung up by his feet, maybe. His neck slit. <laughs> I think sometimes the only thing worse than physical abuse is sexual abuse. For a man to sexually abuse his wife or to sexually abuse some of his children, I would never counsel anybody to stay in that kind of situation. Get out of it and get out of it as quickly as you can. Verbal abuse is sometimes just as cruel and harmful and maybe in cases more so than physical abuse for the husband to just constantly put his wife, you're not worth anything, not worth anything. Or to his children, to verbally abuse children or to have an incestuous relationship with the child. It's terrible. I guess that's the question we can ask the Lord when we get there. Why do you need to address that? 
Did it not go on then? Oh, you bet it went on. Well, I've got to hurry here. Notice it says divorce is permitted. There, did, you may be surprised that the Bible does say that there are some situations in which a person is legally and scripturally allowed to divorce. There's three of them here. One, if a marriage and divorce happen prior to salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have become or have come. So it may be that the situation is that neither one or the, one of them was not a Christian and they got married and then divorced. Because Paul says when you become, and, and they get saved after the divorce, they get saved. And, and, and Paul is saying, when you get saved, everything becomes new. Old things are passed away and are no more. And you get a fresh new start. Fresh new start. So I think that, that a legitimate reason for divorce would be that if, if the marriage took place before either one of them had ever gotten saved, but then later got saved, he's saying it's okay. A marriage and divorce prior to salvation. The second one is an immoral and unrepentant partner. In other words, if you are a woman and, and your husband is running around on you. Now, if that only happens once, where either the woman or the man yields to temptation and enters into an adulterous relationship, but are truly repentant, and those are the key words, truly genuinely repentant now you could get a divorce because they've committed adultery but the idea is hey if, if, if that person realized they've sinned and they've made a mistake and they're repentant and they're genuine in all of that then remain married you don't have to go get divorced it takes a, a huge person to have that spirited attitude toward a companion who's been guilty of adultery but you can forgive. Listen, folks. Adultery or, nor divorce are unpardonable sins. They are sins, but they're not unpardonable. They're not. A person, you know, if, if it were, that all of us are, are, are some. All of us are. So uh, the idea here is that if a person is immoral... And the idea is, and the King James or the other translation says unfaithful, if the person is unfaithful. The grammar of the Greek language carries the idea of persistence. That they continue in this lifestyle. This isn't just a one night stand or a one night affair. This is a, 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 an immoral sexual relationship that goes on and on and on and on and on. And the person who's doing that is unrepentant. They could care less. Then I think a person is justified in saying it's over. It's over. So an immoral and unrepentant partner. But the, both of those are immoral. It's ongoing. It's their lifestyle. And they're hard-hearted about it. And they're unrepentant of it. Then yes. You have the right to divorce as far as I understand it. The third one is desertion by an unbeliever. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7, 12-13. 
through 15. We, there are some instances when, when the man especially just walks off, abandons his wife, abandons his children. Sometimes you don't even know where that person is or that they, you know, you're, you're divorced against your own will. So desertion by an unbeliever, I think, would be acceptable grounds. Quickly look at number three. Remarriage is possible. It's possible. The only biblical purpose for divorce is so that the innocent person can get married. The reason for allowing certificates of divorce initially was to allow the innocent party to be permitted to find another partner. To argue that all divorced Christians are prohibited from ever remarrying is simply not in accord with scriptures. It's not there. Why? Because under the Old Testament law, if you were found guilty of adultery, you were to be stoned to death. Capital punishment. But did you know that there are some Old Testament characters? Godly people? who had more than one wife. Look at old David, King David, the man of whom the Bible says was after the heart of God. But David committed adultery with Bathsheba. By all rights, when Nathan pointed his finger in the face of David and said, you're the guilty party, they should have taken him outside and stoned him to death. According to the law, that was what's supposed to have happened. But he wasn't. And look at old Solomon with all of his 300 wives and porcupines. <laughs> Multiple wives. But Solomon was blessed of the Lord, the wisest man that we know of who's ever lived. He wasn't stoned to death because of his multiple wives. Jesus said, if you divorce your wife, you're causing her to commit adultery. I've struggled with that statement too. Until recently in my study and preparation for this message, I came across a commentator uh, who helped me to understand this, William Hendrickson. And his interpretation of the scripture is that when you divorce your wife and you send her away, you are exposing her to the potential of becoming an adulterous person because she would have no other choice. If you sent her away, you are forcing her to go out into a society and an environment where she had no other support and she would be found in a situation where I've got to survive. How am I going? Nobody's giving me a job. But she finds somebody who genuinely loves her, cares for her, and can get married. She, in essence, is being put in a situation over which she has no control. And she's got to find someone that would take care of her. And therefore, he's saying that it has to do with um, Jesus saying, here's predicting, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. You're placing her in a situation and in an environment that she has no other choice but to get married, and if she does, then she's committed adultery. And it's in this case, if it's the husband who's putting her away, the husband is to blame, not the wife. Number four, salvation is pivotal. 
In 1 Corinthians 7, 14, for the unbelieving, that is, if you are a woman and you're married to an unbelieving husband, he's not a Christian. He says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. For the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. And what he, by sanctified here, it doesn't mean they're saved. The word sanctified means to set apart. And the idea is that if you're married to a person who's not a Christian, remain married. If, if that, if that non-Christian person, a husband or wife, whichever may it be, if they are in agreement and desire and want to remain in the marriage relationship, then you should remain married to that person. In doing so, as a Christian, you are the one who can have an influence on that person. Peter talks about this in the third chapter of his first epistle. And he says, wives, behave yourself toward your husband while you are at home or anywhere else in such a manner that he can hopefully be influenced and see what God can do for you. That eventually, hopefully, not guaranteed, but maybe, your Christian walk and influence and behavior in your house and all your responsibilities and your relationship to him, he might get saved. The chances of that happening would be far greater than if you'd walked out the door and left him behind. Doesn't guarantee that he'd be saved. He's not saying, well, he can ride into heaven on your coattail. No. He's just saying that being a Christian you could have a tremendous influence that you think about as a Christian, people praying for you. If they're praying for you, they're praying for him. And it may be that somewhere down the line, uh, he would come to know Jesus as Savior. So it's pivotal. That, I think that's what Peter is saying. Then the fifth and final thing, and, and I'm coming to a conclusion here, so bear with me for just a moment. There are some principles for protecting your marriage. There are five of them. If your marriage is good, you ought to thank God. <laughs> you really should. Just get down on your knees or somewhere, get, get your wife or your husband and hug and kiss and kneel and pray and say, thank you, God, for my Christian husband or for my Christian wife. I tell you, I, I, I am blessed with my wife, a godly woman that she is, far better than I am, far better than I am. Reads her Bible every day, prays every day, prays for me faithful to me, does everything I tell her. <laughs> you want to come testify? <laughs> oh, I thank God for my wife. You ought to do the same. If you've got a godly husband, a godly wife, thank Jesus. Thank Jesus. Number two, do not judge those who are struggling or who have, never, or, or who have been divorced. Don't be a judge. You don't know what that individual has had to go through to suffer or experience. And you have no right. We're going to talk about judgment, Lord willing, when we get to chapter 7, if we ever get there. He talks about don't judge and so forth. I'm not to judge. I can be a fruit inspector. <laughs> By their fruits you shall know them. But you, you don't know. You know. Close your mouth and quit gossiping and spreading rumors about people. You don't know what has happened to that individual and what's gone on through life, what they have had to put up with or endure all of those lives. You, you don't know. Stay out of their business and quit judging other people for what they may have to go through. As I said, too often we Christians shoot our wounded. How dare you? You're a divorced man. You're a divorced woman. 
and you, you're working in the church, you're holding some position, you have no right to look down our noses at anybody. For we could be in the same spot. Who's to say? Table turn, and you could find yourself in the same situation. Number three, if your marriage is developing trouble, get help now. So many times, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a certified counselor, and, and, I, and I, that's one of my weakest points is try to counsel and help somebody. But when a, when a person does come to me, not always, but sometimes by the time they get around to talking to the preacher, it's already too late. They think somehow the, the pastor can say something or snap his fingers and solve everything. And I can't, and I don't know anybody else who can. And too often, when trouble starts in a family, instead of getting help then, they wait until it develops and gets all blown out of proportion, and, and it just, it's almost next to impossible to, uh, you know, it's like getting a, a disease that you know is curable, but you just let it go, and you don't go see the doctor, and you don't have the tests, and you don't have the surgeries or what's necessary to save your life, and so you end up dying. And a person can have marital problems and troubles and goes through difficulties and, and never do anything about it. Oh, it'll solve itself some way, autopilot. Number four, if you're planning to get married, pray. <laughs> pray. Pray. Somebody said the reason why the mother of the bride is crying so much is because she's marrying a man that is a whole lot like her father. <laughs> Lord help us. But if you're planning to get married, start praying. Most divorces start before the wedding ceremony. Marriage is the most important commitment that you will ever make, and we ought to treat it carefully and prayerfully. Marriages that start in a hurry often end in a hurry. Number five, if you are violating God's law of fidelity, stop it and stop it now. That is, if you're carrying on an extramarital affair, if you're having a sexual relationship with somebody else other than your companion, stop it. And stop it now. Get away from that other individual with whom you're involved. Cut the strings off, slam the door, and don't ever reopen it. Don't ever go back or to continue that relationship with that individual. So if you are, in, uh, if you are unfaithful to your companion, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Now. Don't say, well, I, I'll, I'll do this later. No. Now. In case you didn't understand me. Now. And I close with, with a couple of things. If you, if you read my article in today's paper, I, I use the illustration about Snuffy Smith. I get a lot of theology from the cartoon strips. But old Snuffy Smith has met up with the parson. And Snuffy says to the parson, I got a funny feeling in my stomach, parson. Oh, says the parson. Yes, sir, it's either indigestion or guilt. <laughs> I've cheated and I've gambled and I've stole a time or two, parson. And the parson says, you know what they say, Snuffy. We're all sinners. Snuffy walks away smiling and he says, I reckon so, parson, but I seem to have a flair for it. <laughs> We all do, don't we? We're all sinners. I don't know anybody in this room that's not a sinner. All of you are. I am too. There's no person in this world who's not a sinner. 
So there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. I want to close with two scripture passages that I closed with last Sunday, but just to remind you. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 from the New Living Translation. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, to a bunch of Christians. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sins or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or who are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or who, treat, uh, who cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But then in verse 11, Paul says, and some of you were once like that. Oh, thank God for verse 11. Thank God. Some of you were like that. Some of you used to be homosexuals. Some of you used to be adulterers. Some of you used to fornicate. I mean, that was your lifestyle. You, you, you had sex with anybody that ever came along. He said you, you were thieves. You were male prostitutes. You practiced homosexuality. You were thieves and greedy and you were a drunkard and you were abusive and you cheated people. That's the way he was looking at the, Corinth, the, the, the Christian church at Corinth to a bunch of Christians and he said, some of you used to be this way. But you were cleansed and you were made holy and you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. All it requires is a repentant spirit and you're calling upon the name of Jesus and saying, oh God, I have sinned and I'm repenting of my sin and I'm turning to you and I'm asking you to forgive me. And again, you remember the, the story in John chapter 8 where that woman who was caught in the very act of adultery was brought to Jesus and the Pharisees said, the law says she should be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? And he wrote down in the sand something. And by the time he stood up, everybody that was accusing her of the very act, and she was guilty. She was caught in the very act of adultery. He said to her, where are your accusers? And she said, Lord, there aren't any. And he said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Let's bow together. Father, it's not what I say or anybody else says that's important. What is important is what you have said and what Jesus has said. He is the truth and he speaks only the truth. And he said, and we know that sometimes it's hurtful to be truthful, but Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Lord, we've come here today to worship you and to hear what you had to say. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll take not what I have said, but what your word has said and put it in our hearts 
that we might go and sin no more. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? Andre's going to lead us. If you need to make a decision, I'll be here at the front.